Good morning. Glad to be with you today. And so look at the audience and look around. Yeah, as announced, there's a number of us that are out for various reasons. And so we miss them immensely. And so as Ken urged us, encouraged us, let us uh, be praying for everybody and uh, let us see how we can serve one another the best possible way. In Matthew chapter 7, there's a very familiar statement that Jesus made. On one, there. And we have here, you have Jesus, Jesus of Nazareth, really challenging the Jews. Challenging them to examine their understanding of. Challenging them to you know, examine their understanding not only of who he is, but also their allegiance to him as Lord. And you think about the statement when he said, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter into the kingdom of heaven. You know, what what are some applications? What are some just basic applications that we can draw from this abbreviated statement that is on the PowerPoint here? You know, this this is not the whole context. It's just one statement that is... Jesus says, and in challenging his hearers, and challenging those who are following him uh, regarding his lordship. Well, first of all, I think one thing you can conclude just by this shortened statement is this, that verbal profession alone, verbal profession alone is not enough. Just by what Jesus said here, you know, we can conclude that. And I think that's reasonable, that's logical. Another application, the second one is this, that you know, there will be people, there will be people who declare Jesus to be Lord. There will be people who declare Jesus to be Lord, but they will be unacceptable. I think that's a logical application of just this statement. There will be people who will declare Jesus to be the Lord, but they will be unacceptable. Now, the Lord will be the judge on that. A third application, I think, is this, and that is all who acknowledge his lordship, everybody who acknowledge Jesus to be the Lord, all of those people are not going to heaven. So those are there are three basic applications on this one statement, a shortened in part of that statement that Jesus made when he challenged his audience about who he is and the response to him. You know, you know, the profession alone, that verbal confession, that's not enough. You know, there'll be those who will, yes, you know, call him Lord, but they will not be pleasing to him. And there'll be those who acknowledge the Lordship, but they're not going to go to heaven. But this morning, our focus is on the idea of the lordship of Jesus, taken from the statement that is made in Acts chapter 2, verse 36. We have the gospel of God, the gospel of the kingdom of God, declaring at the end of Peter's sermon that God made Jesus Lord. And at this point, Jesus is in heaven And as you know, as good Bible students, Peter and the 11 apostles are preaching Jesus Christ to 
a huge crowd of Jews in the city of Jerusalem. And as as they're doing this, along with some amazing, miraculous signs, what the 12 do here on the day of Pentecost is they boldly herald the lordship of the same Jesus. Think about this. They are boldly heralding, they're boldly proclaiming the lordship of the same Jesus of Nazareth whom those Jews, or at least many of those Jews, had crucified just a little bit more than 50 days earlier. That's what they're saying here. This man that you crucified, God made Lord. Jesus was made Lord by his father after he had died, after he was raised up again, and after he had ascended into heaven. It is at this point now that Jesus is the right hand of God, and God has made him both Lord and Christ. This reality, this reality, this certainty that Jesus is the Lord, the one true Lord, ought to cut you and me to the depths of our hearts. God made Jesus Lord. It should impact us immensely to the point that we, as followers, as believers and obeyers of Jesus Christ as Lord, that we recreate how we think, we recreate how we talk, and we recreate how we walk, all because Jesus is Lord, all because God the Father made the Son Jesus Lord. Being Lord, as I know you know, is so much more than simply an honorary title. This is not just some title tacked on to the name of Jesus. It is who he is. It is who he is. And he rightly deserves a proper response from each and every one of us. God made Jesus Lord. Well, that should impact me. That should, in a sense, shake me up and cause me to respond and to react in a certain way that is favorable toward God, that is favorable toward the Lord Jesus Christ. The lordship of Jesus is by divine choice. It is by divine approval. The Jewish nation, the nation of ancient Israel, they did not make Jesus Lord. Neither did his disciples. That all the true believers, all the sincere, genuine followers of Jesus Christ who mourned his death, mourned his his crucifixion, they did not make Jesus Lord. Neither was Jesus a usurper to the throne. Nor was Jesus a covetous man who's grasping for power and grasping for control. That's not Jesus Christ. One of the strong 
threads or images or concepts of who Jesus was on earth is the fact that Jesus was a servant on earth. Jesus was a servant. He was the ultimate servant of God and the ultimate servant of men. And what did God do to this servant? God exalted him just at the right time and made him Lord. Even during the ministry, even while Jesus was still on earth, preaching the coming of the kingdom of heaven that's being offered to mankind, even as he's doing that, fulfilling all that the scriptures foretold about him, Jesus clearly taught that his coming was all about doing somebody else's will. It is total selflessness. John 5 is just one of the many passages that illustrate that. When Jesus, on this occasion, in teaching the multitude, says to them, in verse 19, Therefore Jesus answered and was saying to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, the Son can do nothing of himself. The Son can do nothing of himself unless it is something he sees the Father doing. For whatever the Father does, these things the Son also does in like manner. Verse 30, very similarly, says the same thing, a little bit differently, but the same major point. He says, I can do nothing on my own initiative. As I hear, I judge, and my judgment is just because I do not seek my own will, but the will of him who sent me. God made Jesus Lord. Jesus did not usurp. He did not grasp for power. No, he was the ultimate servant. He did his Father's will in everything, in every way. Even under the gravest emotional stress in the Garden of Gethsemane, what was he seeking? Ultimately, what was he seeking? He asked that the cup be removed, but that wasn't his ultimate request, was it? His ultimate request was, or his ultimate statement, let your will be done and not mine. He was seeking another's will, even in the gravest emotional moments of his life. And so therefore, everything that unfolded, everything that happened, everything that was revealed is as God predetermined And that's one of the strong points that Peter preaches there in Acts 2. There in verse 23 and 24, he talks about the historical events that just have happened. And he says, and all of this was by God's foreordination. It is by God's predetermination. Jesus ministered on earth as God planned, as his father planned. That's what he did. Jesus died just as God planned. Jesus was raised from the dead as God planned. Jesus is Lord as God planned. It is by divine choice, it is by divine approval that Jesus is made Lord. And we need to understand 
the magnitude of that in our personal life. We need to know what that means to each and every one of us in our daily life. Jesus is made Lord by God. That is divine choice, divine approval, divine will. This word Lord, as I'm confident many of you already know, comes from a Greek word that is translated Lord, but also can be translated Master. And I I want to use that word this morning. This idea, the Lord Jesus is our Master. In the Greek language, it was a word that signified somebody who had power, someone who had authority. But it's more than just someone who was in a position. It really describes somebody, someone, unto whom service is due. Whoever this master is, whoever this Lord is, that person is due some kind of service from someone else. It is someone who's in a position who, where that service should be rendered to him because of the position, because of the authority he possesses. And that's Jesus. Jesus is the Lord. God made him Lord. He, God made him the master. And as master and Lord, Jesus deserves and is due service from each one of us. In Luke chapter 5, in Luke chapter 5, there's an early account where the apostle Peter after he and some others had been fishing all night, is told by Jesus to put your boat back out on the water and put the net down again. And you're familiar with that account, and you know what happens after he does this. But I want you to notice you know, what uh, the conversation that is exchanged in verse 4, verse 5. He says, when Jesus had finished speaking, he said to Simon, that's Simon Peter, Put out into the deep water and let down your nets for a catch. And Simon answered and said, Master, there's our word. Lord, Master, we worked hard all night and caught nothing. But I will do as you say. I will do as you say and let down the nets. Why did he do it? Because Jesus was the master, that's why. Jesus said to. Jesus said to, and that's what I need to do. Yeah, I'm sure you know, every you know, person in this auditorium, you know, you know, except maybe the most littlest ones, have heard the statement, you know, do it because I said so. Us older ones remember well being told that and even telling our own kids that. You know, and so, so we all are, are familiar with that concept. And that's, and that's what Peter's saying here. He's saying, Master, you know, he explains, you know, I, worked, I worked hard all night and, and we caught nothing. But I will do, as you say, because you are the Master. In Luke chapter 19, it's the, it's the account when disciples are sent to go get the colt. 
that Jesus is going to ride on into Jerusalem when he makes this triumphal entry. So that's, that's, the, that's the scene that's going on there. And if you recall, when, you know, so they find the colt just where Jesus said they would find it, and they start untying it. And so you've got the, the owners of the colt, you know, you know, finding them doing this and obviously saying, you know, like asking about what are you doing? <laughs> you know, why are you doing this? You know, and, and the disciples answer just as the master had told them to answer. And, he sa- and they said, the Lord, the master, has need of it. The master has need of it. And that was it. Okay. And so you get to this, when it says, this same Jesus whom you crucified, God made Lord. What, you know, what does that mean to us? What did it mean to them on the day of Pentecost? What does it mean to us today in 2022? Can you believe that? It's 2022. What does it mean today? The fact is, he has authority. We know that. We understand that. But it also means the idea he deserves whatever he asks of us. He deserves what's due him because this is who he is. As Paul, no, excuse me, Peter, excuse me, get my, my correct apostle here. As Peter told Cornelius in Acts chapter 10, Peter finally comes to the house of Cornelius. And as that conversation is unfolding in verse 34, Peter says to Cornelius and the crowd, he is called together into his house. He said, I most certainly understand now that God is not one to show partiality, but in every nation, the man who fears him and does what is right is welcome to him. And then verse 36, the word which he sent to the sons of Israel, preaching peace through Jesus Christ, he is Lord of all. He is Lord of all. Jesus is master of all. You know, over what? Of what? I think Matthew 28 verse 18 is a good answer. It's not the only passage you could turn to, but Matthew 28, verse 18, when Jesus, before he ascends, declares his essence of authority and says, all authority has been given to me. Jesus didn't usurp. Jesus did not grasp covetously for power. No, all authority was given to me in heaven and on earth. How Lord? How much is Jesus Lord? Well, he's Lord of everything. That's what it is. He's master of everything. He's master in heaven. He's master on earth. And that's why he is the Lord of salvation. In Romans chapter 10, Romans chapter 10, verse 36, Paul, as he's directed by the Holy Spirit to write to the saints in Rome, reminds them, beginning there in verse 12, there is no distinction between Jew and Greek, emphasizing the the global nature of the power of Christ. Is it intended for every soul? He says, you know, there is no distinction between Jew and Greek, 
For the same Lord is Lord of all. It's one Lord. Isn't that what Paul wrote to the Ephesian saints in Ephesians 4? Yeah. The same Lord is Lord of all, abounding in riches for all who call on him. For whoever will call on the name of the Lord will be saved. Jesus is Lord of all, and therefore he is Lord of salvation. He is the master of salvation. He is not only the sacrifice of salvation. He is not only the atonement and propitiation for salvation. He is the Lord. He is the master of salvation. And so in a very practical sense, what that means is he sets the rules. He sets the requirements. And so what Jesus says must be done to be saved, what Jesus says what must be done to be forgiven, is do. That's what should be rendered, because that's what the Master said. That's what the Lord has authorized. Jesus is Lord of all in heaven and earth, and therefore he is Lord of salvation. And so as Joel prophesied, whoever calls on the name of the Lord, whoever petitions By the authority of Christ, he, that one, will be saved. And what does that authority entail? It it means there is service that must be rendered to be forgiven. He is also one, because he is Lord, he is master, that he is to be imitated. He is to be emulated. You recall in John 13, it's the upper room, he's with the apostles And he gets up and adorns himself in order to wash 24 dirty feet. The master gets up from the table and gets down on the floor and goes from one apostle to another and washes their dirty feet. Now there's a lesson in there that is to be be learned. And we're not going to focus entirely on John 13, but I wanted you to just very quickly note what Jesus says. He says, so when he had washed their feet and taken his garments and reclined at the table again, so he's up up, off from the floor washing feet, now at the table, down on the floor at the table. And so uh, he he did this illustration. He gets back up and he says to them, Do you know what I have done? Jesus was not washing their feet just to wash their feet. (laughs) There is a reason behind it. There is a purpose behind it. He said, do you you know what I've done to you? And listen to what he says in verse 13. You call me teacher. You call me teacher and Lord, and you are right. You are right. For so I am. If I then, the Lord, and the teacher, wash your feet, you also ought to wash another's feet. For I gave you an example that you should do as I did to you. Jesus is to be emulated. Jesus is to be imitated. And so once again, when you think of this whole idea, the Lord is our master. He is the master of us. And you go to Ephesians chapter 6 now. In Ephesians chapter 6, where it's talking about the, 
the master-slave relationship. So how then ought we to render, how should we render what is due the master of masters? Well, I think Ephesians 6 gives us some insight. You know, what did Jesus say? What has Jesus said through the Spirit, through his servant Paul, when he talks about an earthly relationship between a slave and a master? What do you say there? I think that is to be a reflection of ultimately what we are to render to the one who is the master of all masters. And you recall the occasion here when he says, Slaves, be obedient, who are your masters, according to the flesh, with fear and trembling, and the sincerity of heart as to Christ, not by way of eye service, but as men pleasers, but also as slaves of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart. And so basically, you know, what, what is due? What is due the master of masters? Very simply, what's due is with respect, with reverence, with proper fear, we are to obey and render service in everything. What the Lord says, we do. Just as if we were in a slave relationship and you had to do absolutely everything your earthly master said. Because your life's not your own anymore. It belongs to somebody else. Because that's part of the relationship that we have with Christ is that not only is he our master, but also the lordship of Jesus involves ownership. This Greek word is also translated owner sometimes. Interestingly, in Luke 19, go back to the occasion of the cult, you know, you know, you know, getting you know, the animal away from, from those you know, owners, That word owner in your version is the same word as Lord. It's the same Greek word. Because, you know, the idea of being Lord or master also entailed this idea of possession, belonging to. The cult belonged to those people, to those men. It was their cult. It belonged to them. It was in their possession, Likewise, so is the case with you and me who have called upon the Lord of all salvation for forgiveness and redemption. Because redemption in Christ is a spiritual transaction of ownership. When you are cleansed by the power of God's grace through faith... Because you rendered to what is due. You did what the Lord of salvation said you must do to be forgiven. Now, by faith, you must repent of your sins. And by faith, confess that faith with your mouth before others. And, as, and with that, be baptized, be immersed in water for the purpose of forgiveness. When you did that and you received peace that surpasses understanding, Because you knew the faithful promises of God are true. And at that moment, you were cleansed. And every sin of your past was gone, erased. When that transaction occurred, at that point, you belonged to Jesus. You belonged to Jesus. In 1 Peter chapter 1, in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 17 through 19, 
in the context where the apostle is calling upon disciples, upon Christians to live right, to live obedient lives, to live holy lives. In that context, he says, verse 17, if you address the father, if you dress as father, the one who impartially judges according to each one's work. And so we do, we all do. And so if you address your God in that way, he then says, conduct yourselves in fear during the time of your stay on earth. Knowing that you are not redeemed, you are not purchased, you are not bought back with perishable things like silver or gold from your feudal way of life inherited from your forefathers. But with precious blood, as of a lamb, unblemished and spotless, the blood of Christ. You were bought, you were purchased, not with perishable things. They're going to disappear anyway. You were purchased, you were redeemed of Christ or by Christ. Our deliverance from sin, our deliverance from darkness, darkness came with a price, but it came with a price that you and I did not have to pay. We did not have to pay it. Jesus did. Jesus bought us. And we belong to him now. Jesus was the ransom. Jesus was the ransom. He did not just pay it. He didn't just pull out of his pocket and pay the ransom. That's not what happened. Jesus was the ransom. He made himself the payment. And that's what Peter is talking about here. You have been redeemed. He's talking to Christians like you and me. He's reminding us, who we are and what we are. He said, you have been redeemed. And as redeemed people, live it. Show it in your life. Mark 10 is where Jesus said that the Son of Man have come to give his life as a ransom for sinners. The blessing of sanctification, staying in Peter, in 1 Peter chapter 2, this blessing of being God's saints, being numbered among God's holy ones. What that means is we are his possession. Verse 9, he says, you are a chosen race. God chose you. You are a royal priesthood. God sanctified you. You are a holy nation, a people for God's own possession. Some versions may say for God's own treasure. You and I belong to another. Who is it we belong to? We belong to Jesus. That's who we belong to. And that's why the church belongs to the Lord as well. The church that Jesus built. The church that, he, that Paul describes as being purchased by the blood of Christ in Acts 20. Or the church that is described in the Ephesian letter as the body of Christ. Whose body is it? It's Christ's body. It's not my body. It's not the body of David, and it's not the body of John, and it's not even the body of the Northfield congregation. It is the body of Christ, and if it's the body of Christ, it belongs to Jesus. Why is that? Because he 
owns her. He built her. He purchased her. He made those saved souls that have been redeemed through him. He made them into his people. The church is established. The church is organized. The church is directed by whom? Who established? Who directs? Who organizes it? The master does. That's who. That's why the church is cleansed as the master or the Lord has required. The church must worship how? Well, the church must worship as the master or the Lord has commanded her. The church must uphold what the Lord has said. And the church must even discipline as the Lord or the master has taught. Because the church is his. It's not mine. It's not our church. It's his church. One more application of the ownership of Christ in your life. And this is in your personal life. And that is the physical bodies of Christians belong to the Lord. Your body, your physical body, belongs to Jesus Christ. Now, we don't like the the language of it, but in a sense, Jesus owns you. Because he paid for it. He paid for it. You and I didn't. But we desperately need him. We we need him to buy us. Because we can't redeem ourselves. You're familiar with the passage in 1 Corinthians chapter 6 where it describes the physical bodies of saints, the physical bodies of Christians as a temple as a dwelling place, a sanctuary for God, for his spirit. He says, do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God, and that you are not your own? For you have been bought with a price, therefore glorify God in your body. You and I are not at liberty. We do not have the freedom. As Americans, we don't like this. But we do not have the liberty or the freedom to do whatever makes ourselves happy. We do not have the liberty and the freedom to do whatever what pleases us. Because we have been bought. To receive the blessed promise and assurance of salvation through forgiveness The master, the master had to buy you your salvation and my salvation. And so therefore, our body, the body that we did not create, but God made according to his design, that physical body was not created and was not made for sin. Now, that's what we have done with it in times past. 
But that's not why God made us. God did not make us for sin. No, when we sin, we transgressed. And so in the very present, your feet, your feet are not made to go where sin goes. Your hands are not made to do what sin does. Your lips, your ears, your eyes, every component of your physical being was not made for sin. It was made for goodness. And therefore, in the context of 1 Corinthians chapter 6, the main spiritual point is, so therefore, do not use your body to do sin. Whether it's your feet, your hands, your ears, your eyes, your mouth, whatever, it doesn't matter. Your whole body belongs to the Lord. God made Jesus. God made Jesus. Born in Bethlehem, raised in Nazareth, attested by God in the public ministry to be of God, from God, and the Son of God, God made that Jesus Lord. And so therefore, there is a response that we are to give. In Galatians 5, verse 24, 25, it also harmonizes with the point that Paul is making in the Corinthian letter, where he says there, now those who belong to Christ Jesus, who would that be? Who belongs to Christ Jesus? Those who have been redeemed. Those who have been cleansed by the atoning power of the Son of God. Disciples of Jesus who have been forgiven. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with his passions and eyes. Let us walk by the Spirit. We don't belong to ourselves anymore. We belong to the Lord And as Peter said so long ago on that very simple day, you said it, I'll do it. To sanctify Christ as Lord in your heart, as what Peter later on is going to say, to do that, to sanctify, set apart, consecrate Christ Jesus as Lord in your heart, In a very practical day-to-day sense means you're going to live and serve every day under the rule, under the ownership of the very one who is over your life. The very one who is over your soul. And who's that? That's Jesus. Jesus who's Lord of all. And so therefore I must sanctify him. I must so engrave him on my heart that I live every day as his servant, as his follower, as his his disciple. I live every day for him. He's the Lord of all, but he's the Lord of David. He's the Lord of Elisha. He's the Lord of Joel. He's the Lord of James and Virgil. He's the Lord of Chris. And Alex, he's the Lord of us all. And so therefore, we live our lives as best as we can for him. Have you called upon him to be saved? Whoever calls upon the name of the Lord Jesus Christ will be saved, we're promised. And that promise is true. Have you called upon the Lord to be saved? 
If not, we want to encourage you to do that. How do you do that? How do you call on the name of the Lord? How do you call on the one who is Lord in Christ to be saved? Well, Acts 2 tells us. It tells us you have to to know for certain who he is. You need to be convicted of who Jesus is. And with that conviction of faith, you must repent of your sins and then be baptized in the name of Christ for the forgiveness of your sins and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. If you've not done that, we, need, we want to encourage you to do that this very day. And we're ready to assist you to put on Christ, to be cleansed of your sin, to have hope of eternal life, to be saved by Jesus. Because outside of Christ, there is no salvation. If you are a Christian, but maybe there is sin in your life that you have not repented of, you have not brought to your Father's throne of grace and mercy, if we can assist you to order your life and make it right with Him, we invite you as well. Whatever your spiritual need may be today, please come forward, make your wishes known, or stand and sing so that we can assist you.